as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Potomy app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. Morning news on 710 KURV. Top newsmakers. Here's Sergio Sanchez. From DHR Health Development Vice President, Dr. Lisa Trevino. She knows a lot of stuff when it comes to clinical trials. Dr. T, welcome back to KURV. We're calling you today because of this clinical trial that might benefit folks suffering from diabetes. So tell me about this Inhale One clinical trial. Good morning, Sergio. It's always nice to be back. Um, thanks for all that you do to support our healthcare initiative. So this is an inhale, it's called Inhale One. It's a pediatric diabetes study, so it's specifically for hmm. kids between the ages of four and 17. Um, we brought on this study about a couple of months ago, and the whole premise of this is so that we can move away from your canonical form of receiving insulin for these type 1 or type 2 diabetic patients, which is injection of insulin. How does it work, um, we, uh-huh. How does it work? So it, it's an inhalable form mm-hmm. of insulin, and um, I wish I had the product to show you. It, it's a little device. It's a simple inhaler. Um, our colleagues like to refer to it. It looks like a little whistle, and it comes with a little cartridge of of, of insulin basically that goes into the device, it's popped right in, and then the kids will then take that inhalable version wow. um, when it's time to do so um, to help prevent these hypoglycemic events or when your blood sugar drops below a certain level that then can become rapidly dangerous. Much like an albuterol so, puff where you just like breathe it in, there you go, press yeah, it, you get it, the, it, wow. it's, it's similar to that. It's, it's really similar to that concept of an inhaled version uh, for albuterol, it's to help open up the lungs and, and give you some space to breathe. Um, this is going to be a, a, a acting insulin uh, comparator to what you get via injection. Mm-hmm. But again, much more feasible, much more ease on the kids to, to take this. Um, if you can imagine, this is going to be a lot, a lot more conducive for compliance. Um, who likes to get shots, right? Who likes <laughs> to get injections, much less a four-year-old? Yeah. Um, so it's really going to help in moving away from invasiveness, uh, which a lot of our research is tending towards, too. And if we can deliver the same type of product in a cleaner, more effective, safer way, um, it's going to be a lot better for everybody. No, i got to ask you, compared to the injection formula, it goes straight into the blood. Okay, uh, This breathable version, is it as effective? Is, is it almost as effective as, as going straight into the blood by going into the lungs? It has been shown right now. So this, this particular medication, Afreza, is currently approved in adults. And so we're working towards having this approved for children. So, yes, it's just as effective. From DHR Health, the Institute for Research and Development Vice President, Dr. Lisa Trevino. Dr. Trevino, Tim Sullivan here. What has developed over the years to be able to get to this point? Because this seems to be a, a super game changer. How did we get it here? has. I think there's been a lot of um, voices that are starting to be heard. Um, again, what research scientists, physicians, nurses, everyone across the globe um, is trying to do is to make the delivery of medication a lot more effective, a lot more efficient. Technology is advancing tremendously. Cost is going down um, across the board, you know, to, to achieve you know, the same type of effectiveness with medications, with procedures. So I think we've just advanced. And I think, you know, um, the FDA together with physicians and, and, and companies alike are coming together saying, how can we deliver this? How can we make it easier? You know, the incidence of diabetes in kids continues to go up. And it's something that we see here in the Rio Grande Valley, regretfully, and an incidence at an incidence that we wish we weren't seeing. So I think it's just, you know, trying to stay on top of, you know, these chronic diseases that affect patient populations like ours. 
So how far away would you say we are then for this to be widespread? How long will the trials last? And then what needs to take place before this is, uh, you know, widely approved for wide use? Sure. So that's a great question. Um, Typically, the drug approval process takes anywhere between, I don't know, um, five to seven years. Yeah. Um, I think right now we're at a, this is a phase three uh, study. So once you get into the phase three, the company uh, or, you know, anyone that's conducting a study will then gather enough information. This is a multi-center study with thousands of patients in it. Um, They're collecting, as always, throughout the different phases, safety data, efficacy uh, data. Is it working? Um, Are we still seeing adverse events? Present it to the FDA. So with you know, pinpoint accuracy, I can't tell you when it's going to be out mm-hmm. there, but I do think we're getting closer to moving this toward the final review to the FDA in, in upcoming years, depending on where this phase three study goes. Dr. Lisa Trevino with DHR Health Institute for Research and Development. She's vice president of operations there. We're talking about uh, a clinical trial for an inhalable version uh, for folks um, of insulin and folks suffering from from diabetes, and again, this is a, a, a children's study, a clinical trial. It's called Inhale One, the, the, uh, this, this project, this, this application that, that's being tested at the moment. Are you still looking for participants? Do you need more kids to participate locally? We do, we do. And, and currently, the physicians leading the study, two amazing doctors that we have at DHR Health, Dr. Narayan Mulukutla and, and Jose Gomez Godoy, um, they're here located in Edinburgh. Um, we're, we're recruiting patients. You can give us a call. We can do some pre-screening over the phone, bring you in, do uh, additional screening that has to be done. Now, uh, this is a year-long study um, for the first, after the first month in which you may be coming in maybe every two weeks, then it's a monthly visit coming into the Research Institute or to the, the clinic with Dr. Gomez or, or Nubulakula. Um it's a, it's a fairly feasible study to do uh, with regards to, you know, having to come in or there's also telephone visits. So it's just this first month in which you'll have to come in, get assessed, get screened. Um, this is really important as well because the, the patients that qualify will receive the medication, any procedure associated with the study, all the visits. In addition to that, they're going to get a continuous glucose monitoring device for free which a lot of the times insurance companies don't cover those uh, monitoring devices. And so this is a really tremendous opportunity for patients in our community, if they qualify, to be on this study. Uh, Patients also get, you know, a stipend to help offset for travel or gas and, you know, to help with meals. You know, sometimes a parent or somebody has to take the day off. So it's just a little help for them. Again, uh, children, diabetes patients, uh, ages four to what? Doc? 17. 4 to 17 is the age uh, range. Tell me about other clinical trials that you're spinning over at DHR Health oh, yeah. right now. Usually you have some very fascinating things. No, we, yeah. we do. We're doing a lot of, a lot of cool stuff. Um, we've done a lot since the inception of this program back in 2014. And again, I thank you for always being so supportive of us. Of, of us. Um, in the pipes right now, we've got a... Um, Hopefully we can talk about this later. It's a, a new device. Uh, it's actually a cell phone, but the technology embedded within the cell phone will help de- help detect PTSD uh, based on rapid eye movement. And so we're looking also for patients that have uh, healthy individuals as well, but also those patients that have been clinically clinically diagnosed with PTSD. And this is a study that's being led by Dr. Uh, Adrian Agapito at our, our behavioral center. Um, we have a lot of liver studies. Liver disease is rampant in our community. Um, early phase NASH, uh, now MASH and, and NAFLD studies. Um, come in, give us a call if you're interested or if you've been recently diagnosed with, with fatty liver disease. Uh-huh. Um, we also have and provide free liver scans to, to see where you're at with regards to any disease that may be occurring in your liver. We can set that up. It's a 15-minute uh, non-invasive procedure. It's based like an ultrasound, basically, and it'll be able to tell us, you know, the state of your liver with regards to any fibrosis that may be present. Um, Oncology studies as well. We are partnering with the Southwest Oncology Research Network, one of the largest, most historical cooperatives or funded organizations in the country. 
um, studies for, you know, um, breast cancer, colon cancer, wow. uh, chronic lymphocytic leukemia. List. So yeah. really trying to touch upon a lot of the diseases in which our patients over-index in the valley. Okay. Is there a number to call, a website? What do you recommend uh, for folks to tap into Absolutely. some of these clinical trials? Absolutely. Give us a trials? call. Yeah. You can reach us at, at 956-362-2390. Um, or you can visit our website, which is uh, www.dhrresearch.org. Got it. Thank you, Dr. T, and continued success. And, yeah, call folks at DHR Health and tell them your age and all the basic information. Maybe you can participate in one of the many clinical trials taking place right now from DHR Health Institute for Research and Development, Vice President Dr. Lisa Trevino. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. Download the free app for 710 KURV and all our sister stations at Radio United. Crisp, clear audio and access to previous programs from 710KURV only at Radio Parami. Download it. It's free. We welcome back from Hidalgo County Irrigation District Number 2, one of our local water leaders. We always appreciate his time and analysis of what's taking place when it comes to the reservoir and water allocations in the area. Now with a new title at the district, he is the new position as Water Advocate for Hidalgo County Irrigation District Number two. So with that, Sonny Hinojosa joining us. With that, what, you get a new parking space, maybe a, a hefty salary increase, Sonny? Is that what it is? <laughs> no, not no. quite. Just a, just a change in the role. All right. So and is this because you've been quite um, helpful of late, the past several months, in informing us about what's taking place? And tell me about this new position over at, at the district for you. Well, I had expressed my intent to retire a couple of years ago. And uh, we went through the process of finding a replacement. And uh, the board just doesn't want to lose the institutional knowledge that I have. I've, I've been in this business for 36 years. And especially with, you know, our water supply situation, they, they wish to keep me engaged. All right. So I'm still an employee of the district. Uh, and, uh, you know, we have a general manager that takes care of the day-to-day activities. And I am going to just concentrate on our water supply. All right. And, and any real grand issues. So let's look at the levels, and we'll bring you back to review what's going on. So how far below 25% yeah, yes- are we? Yeah. yeah, yesterday morning we got an update. Uh, this is for the September 9th, uh, the weekend, September 9th, and and U.S. is at 23.34% at the Amistad Falcon Reservoir System. That's our percent of our ownership. So that's just a little over 790,000 acre feet. You know, and that's uh, a week and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like we've commented before, you know, we the peak of, of tropical cyclone season is, is behind us. There's nothing in the Gulf. Uh, it, it's going to be a very challenging year if we do not get some kind of relief, you know, before the end of this hurricane season. It seems at the moment, looking at the weather pattern, this past weekend we had a little bit of rain, about three inches or so up in the Laredo area. I don't know how, how much they got in the surrounding area, but hopefully that, that will run off eventually into the lake. Uh, it, at the moment, uh, if we have like week to week or maybe every other week uh, a cool front or the tail end of it producing some rain west of us, might it be enough to raise the level just a little bit going into next season? I mean, what does what your experience say? You know, if, if anything, it could probably just hold us steady. You know, I mean, we, we've been ambling along since the beginning, of, well, actually since before the, the beginning of the year. But, you know, we started the year at 32%, and here we are at 23%, and we haven't had really anything significant this year. But, um, I mean, all we can work with is what we have. 
Uh, we're, we're still trying to push you know, our State Department to negotiate something with Mexico. Uh, they're still behind. I mean, a- every week they get further and further in debt. Uh, the last report we have, they're behind in their deliveries you know, by over 640,000 acre feet. Uh, that that's that's a huge deficit. I mean, it could be worse, and it has been worse. But there's there's no incentive right now for Mexico to well, deliver or release any water. Which the begs US. the question: if we if we enter an emergency situation three months or four months down the road, and uh, we're well below twenty percent, and at stage three or whatever, God forbid, uh, what leverage do we have with Mexico? What can Washington say do? In order to force the issue and make sure, hey, you got to release several hundred thousand acre feet of water for us, like now. I mean, what is there, Sonny? As far as water is concerned, we probably have very little leverage. The leverage would have to come in some other aspect uh, outside of water. You know, we've looked at the Colorado, where the U.S. you know delivers one and a half million acre feet to Mexico every year, and uh, you know, we've always wondered why we can't negotiate that water you know i mean if mexico's going to hold back water for us here you know at least we should not deliver what we what the treaty dictates we do on the on the on the colorado side but that's never that's never gained any traction yeah. so it's, it's going to have to be outside of i think of the water from Hidalgo county irrigation district number two our guest sunny Hinojosa. Yes, Sonny, Tim Sullivan here, and I wanted to morning, drill down with you on that, too. Um, is there any, well, first of all, are there any efforts by the U.S. working now uh, to persuade Mexico to release some of its water as you know required by this 1944 treaty? Are there any talks going on between the IBWC and, and the Mexican counterpart? Yes, definitely. There are talks every every time our you know Commissioner Hiner visits with with her counterparts. You know she urges and requests that Mexico consider releasing water. Uh, she's doing everything she can within her realm, uh, which is you know diplomacy and policy. Uh, we've reached out to our you know Congresswoman De La Cruz, Congressman Cuellar and Gonzalez, and our both senators Cornyn and Cruz. Uh, you know, they sent letters to the State Department urging them to to somehow try to force Mexico to release water. Uh, Mexico does interpret the treaty a little differently than we do. They believe they have a five-year window, and we believe that they should deliver a minimum of 350,000 acre feet every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is that difference, and Mexico holds out to the end of the you know the cycle to yeah. deliver water. And then sometimes, and most of the time, they don't have it by that time. So the so time is now because they, they do have uh, a significant amount, right, uh, back up in many of their yes. reservoirs? They still have, you know, 1.6 million acre feet in those uh, six tributaries that, that we're entitled to get one-third of the flow from. You know, uh, last year they, they got up to almost 3 million acre feet. But since that time, since last August, September, you know, they've used 1.3 million of it. So they only have 1.6 left. Mm. And then we have to remember that, that you know, they owe us 600,000 acre feet. That, that's one-third of the water that they need to release. So because we get one-third and, 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 and Mexico gets two-thirds of the flow that comes into the Rio Grande. So they would have to release 1.8 million for us to get 600,000. And they just don't have it anymore. They did at one time. Yeah. Uh, and, and back when... Back when they stockpiled this water, you know, the deficit was only about 400,000 acre feet. They could have easily complied and still had plenty of water left over. But the longer they wait and the longer the, our State Department takes to put pressure on Mexico, it gives them more time to utilize that, that stored water. So, so we're at 23.3% right now, U.S. ownership. We hit n- near record lows last year, I, I recall, too. How far down did we get in 2022? Last year, we got to 20.69%. And, and that figure that I gave earlier of 23.34, that's September 9th. And, and we're probably around the 22.8, 22.7% range right now. Um, but, yeah, we, we you know, and Cause the number 20.69 was, was a low for last year. But at this date last year, 
Um, okay. You know, we had we had that old, once again that old storm event that 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 brought some inflows in. Right. So we were at twenty six percent last year at this time, and now we're at twenty three point three. Sunny on the legislation side, anything pending up in D.C.? Any anything being pushed? Nothing legislatively. We're okay. just trying to put political pressure. And um, we've got, for example, South Padre and Port Isabel, uh, their water entity. Uh, they're at stage three conservation, and they've turned off the fountains. Uh, I think the water, as far as car wash, is being restricted, things like that. Because of the forecast, the forecast is real dry right now. And we continue to drop. Uh, should more cities go ahead and just implement stage three uh, as a precaution, just go early and hope and pray that we get some some rain to, to resupply the shed here pretty soon. I believe it's going to happen. Yes, you know the rest of our municipalities will probably have to follow suit uh, if they're not doing so already because it's it's not getting any better. Sunny, thank you for the update. That's Sunny Nahosa with Hidalgo County Irrigation District Number Two. He's our new water advocate for the district. Only News Talk Station, News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. From Texas State Technical College, our new friend Ruben Ramirez is leading the charge when it comes to emergency medical training, EMT training. Ruben, we Welcome you to KURV. Thanks for making time for us now. Tell us about the special certification that the program received recently, if we can start there. Yes. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me on yes, sir. Uh, this morning. Uh, what we got was a uh, accreditation to continue our program. Uh, basically what that means is that we uh, were up to standard, up to speed with all the requirements from our National Accreditation Board that allows us to hold a uh, advanced course AEMT paramedic class for our students here at KCC in Harnigan. Could you describe the program for us? Like, what do you, what do you learn in, in EMT training? So, our program offers uh, three certi- uh, certification levels. The first one's going to be our emergency medical technician, which is going to be uh, a course that teaches you basic life support. Uh, it teaches them how to do first aid, how to use AED, how to manage an airway uh, using basic maneuvers and basic adjuncts. Uh, and that's a two-semester course. And then our students also have the option of going into our advanced EMT, um, which builds off of the EMT course but introduces uh, advanced airway maneuvers or like intubations, uh, and it also uh, introduces IV therapy to where our students can actually start IVs on our patients and give them fluids. After that, they also have the option of going into their paramedic certification. And with that certification, we offer a... Uh, associate's degree, mm-hmm. and they also have the option of getting a certificate. And with that certificate or that degree, uh, they can pretty much practice emergency medicine uh, in the advanced level. They can interpret EKGs. Uh, they can start IVs. They can do advanced area maneuvers. They can give certain medications uh, to the patient. Basically, what a ER doctor can do in the ER, we sort of bring that service and that uh, emergency medical care to our patients out in the field. Wow. So we offer those three levels of certifications for our students. I was reading a little background information from uh, TSTC. I understand you started your path in EMT training and your career when you were quite young. That's correct. Quite young. You were yeah, 17 uh, years old. Why did you choose this field? How, how did you land on this? Well, uh, fresh out of high school, you know, a 17-year-old didn't really have um, an idea of what I wanted to do uh, as far as uh, a career. Um I was looking through the brochure for back then, I believe it was TSTI, and I saw something that said emergency medical services, and I figured, oh, I've seen the guys in the ambulance, you know, drive yeah. by with their lights and sirens, and I thought, that's be something uh, cool and interesting that I'd like to try. <laughs> uh, I applied to TSTC. 
1997, I got my EMT certification. Never did I think I was going to make a profession out of it. I figured it would be more of a stepping stone into something else. But uh, I'd say about 23 years later, here I am teaching where I first started from. How big is the program? How many EMTs are you turning out on a, here for the Valley here at uh, TSTC? At TSTC, uh, our current cohort right now, uh, we have uh, four cohorts right now. One is an EMT class, which is an EMT class of 20. Uh, we have three permanent classes going on. Uh, one class is a class of 18. One is a class of 28, which is our, our biggest cohort we have so far. And then we have another class of uh, nine. So, um, And each one of those classes uh, is going to graduate uh, hopefully we're here within the next three semesters to where we'll be putting out uh, approximately, I want to say probably maybe 70, hopefully, EMT slash paramedic students out to the field. All right. They recently received a, a new type of accreditation at TSTC for their EMT program, instructor Ruben Ramirez, our guest. Ruben, Tim Sullivan here. How many folks yes. would you say are, are like you, the folks who stick with the EMT paramedic field, and and how many then also use this training as a stepping stone, as you mentioned, for something else? And then one other question, what is that something else? What what would be that stepping stone to, to another field? Well, the, the good thing about EMS is that it, it can be used as a stepping stone into any type of allied health or any type of medical uh, profession you want to go into. Um, a lot of the students that we get, they use it as a stepping stone. Um, well, not a lot. I say some of them use it as a stepping stone to go into nursing. Okay. Uh, you also have some students who use it as a stepping stone to go into pre-med. Oh, wow. uh, I know a couple ER doctors that started off as EMTs. I know a couple nurse practitioners, uh, physician's assistants. Um, they all started off as EMTs or uh, paramedic. Um, it, it, it's hard to keep the EMS profession fully staffed, and I say that because right now nation, nationwide we are um, we have a shortage of uh, EMS professionals out in the field. Uh, and it's hard to keep them because the turnaround time of uh, EMS professionals uh, is about maybe, I want to say, five, six years. Reason being, some move on uh, to further, the, further their education. Uh, some, with the rigors of the profession, uh, decide to you know, leave leave the profession and go into uh, other less stressful things. Hmm. So it's hard to keep the EMS profession fully staffed because there's a there's there's such a huge turnaround for EMS professionals. Would you call it a chronic shortage because we've had a chronic nursing shortage for so long? Is it is a, is it a similar situation for EMTs and paramedics? I would say it is a chronic, and one of the one one of the things that caused uh, a huge or a even bigger shortage was COVID. COVID. Put a lot of strain on our on our uh, first line healthcare workers, to where some of them uh, just didn't want to continue on uh, in the profession. Some got out of the profession to something a little bit more stabilized, a little bit more safe. Uh, but I would say COVID put a huge strain on our healthcare workforces, to where we're trying to fill those gaps right now. EMT instructor Ruben Ramirez, Texas State Technical College. Our guest. They recently received a new accreditation for the program at our college. Um, what would you recommend to young people tuning in right now, maybe parents dropping off their kids, and some kids that might want to go into this profession? What should they study, Ruben? Um, I would say a huge advantage for students who come into our program would be those who have some type of medical terminology background and also some type of human anatomy and physiology. I always tell my students that that's one of the probably the most important things you want to have as far as a background or a foundation I was to my students, it's important for us to know the human body, how it works normally, how it works naturally. Uh, so that way when we see something that's abnormal, something that's not uh, what you would see on a patient who is uh, healthy, it will help you identify what the issue is. And I always tell them it's going to be something that's going to have to be pathology. Uh, we look at the pathology of most illnesses and most injuries, but we also have to know what to look for as far as the assessment. And once we, once we know those two things, um, the management comes into play. So I would say... Anatomy and physiology and med term uh, are going to be two important things. That way you can understand uh, when we mention some type of medical terminology, 
or we reference some type of human anatomy, uh, it, it, it's good to put two things together and know what we're talking okay. about. Okay. So in other words, watch a lot of, of medical TV shows. And, and movies. Those help. I understand that allied health and medical training uh, runs in the family. Your wife, I understand, is a surgical technology instructor at the college. Is she in the same building with you? Uh, no, she's she's in a different building uh, on the other side of the campus, and I think they they planned that for us. <laughs> Keep these two away uh, from them. But yeah, uh, she uh-huh. she is uh, the interim statewide uh, chair for certain mm. technology. Wow. Okay. Uh, she has been here probably longer than I have, and when I got hired here, I told her, "Hey, we're going to be you know work buddies." Uh, but it's it, it, and she also came from TSCC. She's a product of TSCC as, as in mine. And it's one of those things where we just want to come back to where we started and hopefully yeah. um, change the lives for some of these students. And uh, our, our goal at TSC is to put more Texans in higher paying jobs. And if we can make careers out of some of those students yeah. where they can be yes, in anything in TSC has to offer, uh, that's our job. Continued success, Ruben. Again, congratulations on the certification accreditation for the program for EMTs, uh, EMS there at TSTC. That is instructor Ruben Ramirez. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Para Mi app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. This is News Talk 710 KURV, this radio station, exclusive play-by-play home for Houston Astros baseball. Thank you to our many supporters, including FNT Valley Motorsports and Riverside Development Services and also Hess Air. We welcome back Gabriel Gonzalez, our city manager for our city of Harlan, Jen. And we start out of the gate with congratulations, Gabe, on the new contract for you over at, at City Hall. Yeah, so, hey, uh, look back real quick at some of the projects you've been involved in and what you look forward to over the next couple of years. One of the things I'd like to start off with is that the last time I spoke to you, we were at $141 million in building permits. As of today, we're at $159 million. We had an increase of $18 million in one month. So things are looking great for the city of Hardington. Uh, the trend continues. Um, we're going to have all sorts of new construction for the years, a uh, few years to come, so... Uh, that's great news for us. Is most of that commercial construction or residential? What would you say, Gabe? No, it, it's mostly commercial. Commercial also includes multifamily. Uh, commercial is at $105 million and single-family residential is about $53 million. That's pretty good. So, so it's mostly commercial leading the charge. Yeah. Well, what's spurring all this construction in the area, Gabe? What's going on? Commissioners made a few changes to our uh, subdivision guide. Um, the developer's guide to make it easier for uh, contractors and developers to come in and construct in Harlingen. So uh, that's helped spur some of the construction activity you see around town uh, and just growth. I mean, we had our, our population now is, is now um, 72,000, uh, according to the Census Bureau. We think a more accurate count is about 85,000, but that's, that's, that's something else. And we just have more people in town. So companies are coming to Harlingen to take advantage of the rooftops that we have in town. Uh, this is just anecdotal on my part. Over many years of growth here in South Texas, I seem to recall Harlingen, folks in Harlingen being happier the way things were and not growing at breakneck speed like McAllen and Brownsville at one point. But it seems now that, that lots of folks are moving to Harlingen. Would you say the sentiment around town, are folks happy with that or are they happy to be part of the, of the growth and change? You know what? We haven't had any complaints about the growth going on. Uh, in town, matter of fact, people are are, are congr- congratulating us on the on the activity that we have. So I I think everybody is okay with the growth. Um, and you know what, it, it uh, growth brings a few uh, things that you deal with more more traffic, uh, more people in the grocery stores. But you know what, it's a good thing because it 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 uh, w- one of the things that we've done is because of our of the growth that we have, the increase in 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 construction. 
and sales tax, for instance, we've been able to give our police and fires for this upcoming year raises that total almost a million dollars just for those two departments. So we're taking good care of the men and women of the police and fire department. We wouldn't be able to do that without the growth that we've had in the city. So it, it's a good thing, and I think everybody's happy with it. Gabriel Gonzalez, our city manager for Harlingen, joining us. Mr. Gonzalez, Tim Sullivan here. There's been talk of two big solar farm projects, uh, proposals in the vicinity of Valley International Airport. How would you assess the chances of those being being built? We Well, we were actually, actually approved those, and one is going to be, you're right, over by the airport, and the other is going to be across town over by uh, the retail area. So uh, those are pretty good-sized projects. Yeah. Uh, we're looking forward to coming on board. So that's going to be exciting. Okay, so, so they're approved, and uh, you're saying they will they will be built? Yes, but they're, they're actually going to be battery storage. Uh, so it's like a battery, take, farm. Uh, a battery farm. No, I was, yeah. I was talking about some, I believe there was a, a, the owner of a, a, a solar a farm project also had, had made some proposals before the, the city commission. Yes, he's actually looking at it. That's still uh, in the works. That has not been approved yet. Okay. Uh, the two that we have approved so far are going to be battery storage. Ah. And so they're, they're going to harvest energy and hold it until there's a, a need for it and then release it back into the grid. Yeah, what's the... Uh, but you're right. I'm we, sorry, we go ahead. looking at it close to that area, close to the airport also. What would be the impact of those battery storage facilities in terms of electricity production, um, electricity distribution on the city? Uh, you also mentioned the, the overall grid. Well, what they're hoping to do is that whenever, uh, say, there's some sort of, of uh, say, a rolling blackout and it impacts the area, they would be able to release that, that energy back into the grid to continue to provide power to the residents of Hardingen. Mm. So that's, that's our intent. They wouldn't be using it on a regular basis, just whenever there is a situation of need in the community. Is this the one main, is it the solution or one major solution to potential power shortages either during the winter or during a, a very hot summer to set up these battery farms in many parts of Texas? Yeah, that's, that's one solution. Uh, obviously, others would be like, like uh, solar power, wind power, those those that would not uh, rely on, say, natural gas uh, to to uh, to fuel their their energy creation. So uh, I, I think the more of these that we get in town, the better. Uh, it provides an opportunity for us not to have any power outages in the future. Yeah, uh, so that's a good thing. Gabriel Gonzalez, our city manager from Harlingen, joining us on the economic development side. Any announcements you want to make as far as recent arrivals, any new retail, maybe some job creation numbers? Have you had a chance to look at those? Um, well, uh, you know, the one thing I would like to talk about right now is the, the sales tax increases for, for the city. Um, for the month of, of August, we were at a 7.57% increase in sales tax, which brings it to about a 4.5% four or five percent for the year so that's 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 wonderful news for the city uh, for the first time in our history uh, we passed a budget that had higher retail uh, higher uh, sales tax and property tax and and that's in years past that was unheard of and now it's becoming the norm for us so yeah that's that's a good thing yeah and sticking it north of four percent yeah you're still ahead of the national inflation number which is is always good Let's go back to the mall there at the interchange. We heard a report that somebody pulled the plug for a couple of days, I guess, as far as nobody paying their bill out there. Uh, What is the potential for better development, greater development, at that prime property sitting there at the interchange? Well, you know, that that is prime location. Uh, And the owners of that that mall are selling. So uh, we're hoping that 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 gets done quickly. Uh, We'd like to see someone who's got some sort of a plan uh, for that area. And um, I think the sooner that gets sold, the better. But you're right, it, it, it did go through some sort of um, crisis situation with the with the current owners that uh, did not pay their electric bill, and it did get turned off for, for a couple of days. Back to the airport, I know you had a chance for the regular conversation with airport leadership. The space that needs to be filled after that aerospace firm left or is, is transitioning out of that big warehouse. 
What is uh, the latest on filling that in the near future or maybe luring more industry nearby at the industrial park? Uh, you're talking about the building for ULA yeah. uh, and you're right. They're going to be leaving uh, pretty soon. They're still there, but it's, it's, it's down to just the minimal employees. Uh, we are currently looking um, to our, 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 our representatives in the uh, United States Congress, uh, also in the state, uh, to help us try to get some funding. We need to redo the ramp around that building. And so we're looking for funding to actually have that done so that we can uh, attract uh, uh, somebody that's in the aerospace industry to actually come in and actually either work on planes or okay or have some sort of of, of uh, a company that actually does uh, does work on planes so 10 we're, we're looking hard to try to find that uh, that company and get that space filled 10 for gate again congratulations on the new contract and thanks for checking in gabriel gonzalez our city manager for harlingen You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. Let's look at some of the unemployment numbers, some of the hiring trends as well for the area. Dan Uribe is with Workforce Solutions. Let's review the most recent unemployment numbers for the region. Absolutely. Thank you, Sergio, for having me. Uh, at the statewide level, we have um, very positive news and, and the local level as well. We know that statewide we have a 4.1% unemployment rate. That is reflecting about a little um, bit more than 24,000 individuals entering employment for a total record of uh, close to 14.5 million persons employed. This is really good news. This is the 30th consecutive month that the state reflects an increase in employment numbers. Considering the local level, we have the McAllen Metropolitan Statistical Area adding uh, around 800 jobs for a total of around 11,000 annually, which is reflecting about a 3.8% unemployment numbers. So that good. is good news as well. The Bronzeville Harlingen area, that is uh, that one is adding about a 1,400 jobs, uh, which uh, it's it's really, really, really good as well uh, for a total of 3,200 annually. So that reflects a 2% increase in employment numbers. But overall, we have really good numbers. We, we know also that the Hidalgo County had a slight decrease of 0.2% uh, uh, to, to set a 6.8% unemployment rate. So overall, we have good news. Um, McAllen as well. Uh, has a 5.0% unemployment rate, and Edinburgh is the second lowest after McAllen with a 5.4%. Okay, and that would be for the entire valley. Those would be the the two lowest unemployment figures as far as cities, correct? Correct, yes. Are you running your calendar fiscal year, like end of September, starting October, or is it calendar year? How do you run your numbers at at, uh, Workforce Solutions? These numbers are running calendar um, okay. uh, years. So, uh, for example, the numbers that I'm reporting right now, mm-hmm. they are from August uh, 2023. Um, usually, the, the final numbers are released uh, around the third week of the following month. Okay. So, when you say that Cameron County okay. employment annual 3,200 jobs created this year, that would be from January up to August of this year, right? That will be considering 12 months past. Okay, the past um, so, from August to August. Correct. When we reflect an annual increase, we're talking about uh, from from last year, uh, let's say uh, August um, to to this year. The most recent report. Okay, 11,000 annual creation for the McAllen MSA. Dan Uribe joining us from Workforce Solutions. Dan, Tim Sullivan here. So locally, where are these new jobs being added? Right. So these jobs, the majority of them are growing in uh, public education, law enforcement, 
uh, government type of jobs um, for for this past month of August, right? Uh, it depends. Every month has uh, different uh, industries that are uh, reflecting increases or decreases. But for for August, mm-hmm. we have uh, government. Then uh, following there, we have um, education, uh, private education, and health services. We know that healthcare is the largest um, industry in the region um, by far, uh, consolidating about uh, 24 to 25% of the total employment in the region. Let me narrow it down a bit if I could. Uh, same question, where are these jobs being added in the private sector? Right, in the private sector, we have um, the majority of the industries reflecting um, increases um we know that for example um the tra- trade transportation and utilities industry um that is reflecting a slight increase of about a uh, 100 additional jobs in the region uh, of course geographically speaking we are uh, a border region uh, that um is reflecting a lot of um com- commercial transportation uh, and of course the the relationship that we have with our uh, um, partner in the South Mexico. Mm-hmm. So that reflects some increases during transportation and trade. Um, as far as the, um, professional and business services, for this past month, we showed uh, a decrease of about 700 um, jobs that were lost in that particular area. It's important to to know that these changes are also reflecting seasonal changes. For example, mm-hmm. we just uh, went through the summer, and a lot of these changes are, uh, of course, uh, reflecting um, that seasonal adjustment. Yeah. But we 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 expect for the professional and business services uh, sector to to bounce back in in the next uh, couple of months, uh, especially since we're starting to get into the. This is um, the, the the holidays. Hey Dan, is there a difference between the type of hiring that takes place, the type of jobs that are added or lost uh, when you compare McAllen, the McAllen metro area, and the Brownsville metro area? Overall, they tend to behave very similar. Um, we 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 constantly hear that um, we should consider the McAllen and, and Brownsville metropolitan areas as mm-hmm. just one region. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and someday. That, Mm-hmm. Right. Well, we did it with the <laughs> Metropolitan Planning Organization on the transportation money side, which was going to be one of my questions, because with all that, that's right. taking place right. in Cameron County, my goodness, it'd be good to see you. Yes, definitely. And we know that uh, all our um, leaders in the region uh, from the political spectrum and, of course, the, the different systems, the uh, workforce education and economic development systems, um, they all are working together to consider McAllen and Bronzeville as one region. Um, uh, one benefit from the other any time that a new company opens here regionally. And of course, considering those projects that you just mentioned, which are being considered as mega projects um, because of the amount of investment that, that is coming to the region. Um, we hope that uh, the number of jobs continues to increase um, because of those uh, projects as well. But um, to answer your question, um, McAllen and Bronzeville, they tend to behave very similar in terms of the numbers. Um, if anything, of course, McAllen has uh, um, potentially a, a larger sector at this point in terms of healthcare. Uh, it also has larger population. Um, but considering the new projects that are coming in, in, in into the region yeah. of uh, Bronzeville and yeah. Kansas, that is starting to to offset a little bit of what McAllen is doing. So, they both of the metropolitan areas are compensating each other and and playing on on both strengths of each other. Dan Oribe, Dan is with Workforce Solutions, and that is their area of coverage is Hidalgo County, Stark County, and Willacy County. Cameron works. Cameron is is reported differently. It's a it's a colleague of his. So it begs the question then: Is there any talk? Is there any consideration, either a push by state lawmakers or the Valley Partnership or county judges? Is there any move to combine Cameron Works and Workforce Solutions to get it into one entity? We have one university system, Cameron County, that county, one Rio Grande Valley Partnership, one Metropolitan Planning Organization for the highway funding, one broadcast market. Is there any talk to blend both of these because 
we have an economic revolution taking place in South Texas. Right. So there is definitely a lot of conversations happening around that topic. Um, uh, to my knowledge, we haven't arrived to a decision that would change the way these numbers are being uh, currently reported. I think it's, uh, in my personal opinion, I think it's just a matter of time mm-hmm. until, you know. What needs to happen, Dan? Who, who needs to pull the trigger on this to get this done, to combine us into one workforce solutions reporting area where we look at the labor as one? I think the change needs to be pushed um, primarily f- uh, from from the employers and um, um, the population in general uh, to have these conversations with their representatives, uh, with their uh, local leaders, and, you know, push for, for that unified uh, voice where, um, you know, there's a need as a region, not necessarily as an individual city or yeah. as an individual community. But um, as the, the more that we have this conversation and begin to push our leaders and representatives in Congress and, you know, in, in all uh, sectors, as I mentioned, economic, uh, workforce, and education, um, they all are uh, having these conversations as well. But if we continue to push for that conversation, I think it's a matter of time. And time. Thank you for your time, Dan. Thanks for Thank the analysis, Dan. Yes, sir. Thank you for the report. That's Dan Uribe with Workforce Solutions. This is the only radio station in the Rio Grande Valley for the news and information you need to know. We are News Talk 710KURV. Discover our Facebook page, 710KURV, also Twitter. I'm Sergio Sanchez, and my email is sergio at kurv.com. Thank you for listening to News Talk 710KURV. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Para Mi app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.